May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Remember, you're a bear girl. That's what my dad would say to me when I was heading back to college after a vacation at home. He would say it lightly, but he said it sincerely. He meant it. Remember, you're a bear girl. Now, he never exactly spelled out what it meant to be a bear girl, but I didn't really need it to, because I knew it basically meant two things. First, that I would always belong, and second, that my dad both expected me and trusted me to make decisions and live in ways that aligned with the values and the priorities that I'd been raised with. Remember, you're a bear girl. That one simple sentence captured both an identity and a sense of purpose. And I think it's helpful to have those kinds of reminders, simple things, whether you are a college student or whether you are a church. Because even as a church, even as a particular congregation, it can be easy to lose sight sometimes of our identity and our purpose. It's easy to just get comfortable with the routine of things and to forget the basic truths that are the foundation on which those routines are built. And so we need simple reminders that draw us back to those truths. I think we are at a point in our life together as a congregation where it's really important for us to identify some of those reminders, to consider them, to meditate on them. Within about the last 18 months, we have done a lot of work together to discern who God has called St. Michael's to be. So we defined, excuse me, we defined our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We defined our vision to create Christ-centered environments that encourage and equip people to pursue intimacy with God, that embrace people in our warm and loving Anglican church family, and that support people in building God's kingdom. And we articulated the things that we value. Worship, relationships, prayer, spiritual growth, and outreach. Now, if all of those things sound familiar to you, it may be because they are printed at the end of your worship guide almost every week. If they don't sound familiar to you, good news, they're printed at the end of your worship guide almost every week. All of those things are really important, and we want them to continue to shape and to guide our life together. Those statements are good and relatively short reminders of our identity and our purpose as the congregation of St. Michael's Anglican Church. Those statements are reminders of the kind of church that we believe that God has called us specifically to be. But the question I want us to consider now is a more general one. What does it mean to be church? 
What does it mean to be a worshiping community? There are lots of different ways to be church. And our mission and vision and values describe the St. Michael's way of being church. But the answers to what it means to be church in general are something that should be common to all churches. And the reason that I think now is a good time for us to consider what it means to be church is that right now we are working on finding some ways to intentionally reach out to the empty nesters and the seniors in the community around us. As we worked on formulating that mission and vision and values, we discerned that reaching out to this particular community is one of the things that God is specifically calling us to do. And so at our congregational meeting last week, we started a conversation about some ways that we might be able to do that. You had tons of good ideas. We'll have another meeting next Sunday for those who weren't able to make last week's. So we want to reach out to empty nesters and seniors. But what does that mean? Well, it means that we will share with them in our deeds and in our words the love of Jesus. It means that we will tell people about our relationship with Jesus and invite them to consider having a relationship with him too. And it means inviting them to be part of a church community. If that ends up being St. Michael's, then wonderful. If it doesn't end up being St. Michael's, if it ends up being another church, also wonderful. Because regardless of which particular church someone ends up going to, the important thing is that they are part of a faithful, worshiping community. And so... While we're hoping that God will use us to draw new people into worshiping communities, I think we should probably spend some time thinking about what it means to be a worshiping community, what it means to be church. So that's what we're going to spend the next five weeks exploring together. So that's the five Sundays of Lent up until Palm Sunday. Over these weeks, we are going to be exploring what it means to be a worshiping community. And fortunately, our liturgy gives us a great reminder, much like remember you're a bear girl, it gives us a reminder of what it means to be church. And that reminder comes in our post-communion prayer. It's relatively short three Anglican sentences, which means they're kind of long, but three sentences that we pray every week after we share communion together. And I think this prayer encapsulates what it means to be church. So we're going to use this prayer as our guide over the next five weeks, break it down and consider it piece by piece. And each week, the portion of the prayer that we will focus on that day will be printed in your worship guide just below the sermon heading, so you can see what we'll be focusing on each day. I want to say a word as well about the scriptures that we will be reading during this season. For our New Testament lessons, we are going to be looking at passages from 1 John. And I chose this because... 1 John is a letter that seems to have been written to a number of small churches in and around the city of Ephesus. 
John was writing to these churches to remind them not just what it means to be a Christian, but what it means to be a church, to be a worshiping community. And I think that makes 1 John particularly helpful for us because John isn't so much responding to specific issues in each church, which is what Paul's letters mostly do. As much as John is reminding all of the churches of their shared identity and purpose, of what they all have in common as worshiping communities. And so we'll be looking at several selections from this letter as we explore the post-communion prayer. The Old Testament readings that we'll be looking at are the accounts of the covenants that God made with certain individuals and with his people generally. So there are five covenants that God makes in the Old Testament. Five times when God says to his people, I am your God and you are my people and here's what it means for you to be my people. Five times when God describes what it means to be a community that worships him. And even though God has made a new covenant with us in the covenant of Jesus' body and blood, those Old Testament covenants are still important. They tell us about God's character and they tell us what it means to be his people. So each week we will hear one of those five covenants taken in chronological order. So started with the covenant with Noah today. I probably will not specifically reference or uh, those passages in my sermons, but you might think about using them as subjects for your own study and prayer as we journey through Lent together. As for the psalm and the gospel reading, that will continue to be drawn from the lectionary um, because I think we should be listening to these stories and themes of Lent as we go through this season. So that was a lot of background, (laughs) I know. But I wanted to make it really clear what we're doing and why we're doing it. So thank you for hanging with me in that. And now we can actually turn to the post-communion prayer and to the scripture. So first, let me read this prayer in its entirety. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, Be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Now, I think it's important for us all to to know that this prayer isn't just something that the ACNA bishops sat down and wrote a couple of years ago when they were working on the liturgies that would make up our prayer book. This is actually an adaptation of a really old prayer. It's found in the very first books of common prayer that date back to the mid-16th century. And it seems that that prayer in those old prayer books came from even older liturgies in 
the church back before the Middle Ages. Those had sort of fallen out of use during the Middle Ages, and those, the English reformers wanted to bring them back in. I can't give you an exact source because I don't read Latin, but um, if I dig it up, I'll let you know. <laughs> but um, the point is that the words of this prayer have been used by Christians for centuries to thank God for what he does in worship and to remind us of what it means to be a worshiping community. The prayer is in scripture, but it does bear the authority of a long Christian tradition. So the portion that we are focusing on today is this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are four things that I want to draw our attention to in this section. Four key points in this part of the prayer and in the section from 1 John that we heard earlier. And for each of these four points, I will briefly talk about how I already see this in our life together or how we might be able to grow more into it as a congregation. So first point We encounter God in our worship together. So the prayer begins, Heavenly Father. That's how we are calling God. And if he is a father, that means we are his children. So we are in relationship with God. Our worship has been an experience of that relationship with God. It says in a few words later that God has fed us with spiritual food and he can't feed us if we haven't had an encounter with him, right? If we haven't met him. So we are encountering God in our worship. And we say that we have been fed with the body and the blood of Jesus. So we have God the Father and God the Son as part of our worship. And as the final sentence of the prayer will make clear, the Holy Spirit is part of the action as well. So our worship is an encounter with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an encounter that we each have individually, and it's an encounter that we have collectively as a community. We encounter and we experience God. That's what we see in verse 3 of our passage from 1 John. John writes, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when we worship, we have fellowship with each other and with God. That's what it means to be part of a worshiping community, that together we encounter and we experience God. And I think that this is something that happens regularly for us. I would say it happens every week. Different ones of us may experience God differently. Some of us find that we connect to God most strongly in musical worship, For some people, it's silence. 
For some, it's the words of the scriptures. For others, it is receiving the sacrament. But we encounter God regularly as we worship together. And often there is, to me, an almost palpable sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I think about, um, I'm going to tell a story on you, Jerry. Um, (laughs) I think about the time, however many months ago, when uh, on their way to church, Jerry and Joe diverted and went to the hospital because Jerry was having a chest pain. And as we, before we started church, we just stopped and prayed for him. And what they told me later was that his chest pains lessened significantly at the very moment that we were praying. When we encounter God together in worship, God acts. And that's what we see in what we do each week here. And not just in our worship. But there are other ways in our life together as a community that we encounter God. So one example is the forming class that Ray and Fran started leading on Friday. Um, I went to the first session, and it's fantastic. And that class is teaching us about how to grow in the depth of our experience of our relationship with God. So it's not just something we think about or talk about but it's something we experience. Encountering God in our life together is part of what it means to be a worshiping community. Second, we are reminded of our need for and the presence of a Savior. We pray, God, you have fed us with spiritual food in the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. John writes this in verses 6 through 9. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We sin. There is no way around it, and there is no way we can cleanse ourselves from it. We need to be forgiven We need to be saved, and Jesus is our Savior. That is what we declare, and that is what we practice as we gather and worship together. And that is something that we, as a community at St. Michael's, we know our need for a Savior. We have embraced the truth that we cannot perform our way into heaven. That is something that we are rock solid on, and I am grateful, deeply grateful for that. I wonder as well if there is an invitation for us in this to grow in our sharing of our need for a Savior with each other. What would it look like 
for us to grow in being more and more open and authentic with each other about our struggles and about the ways that God has saved us. Not just generally, like back when I was in sixth grade at youth camp, I had an encounter with Jesus and I got saved. That's good and important and true. But specifically, how is God acting in our lives, even now, to set us free from the sins and the brokenness that mark our lives? I would love for us to grow as a church that whether one-on-one or in smaller groups or on Sundays together, that we share our stories of our experiences of Jesus as our Savior. So as a worshiping community, we encounter God. We are reminded of our need for and the presence of our Savior. And third, we are fed with spiritual food and the sacrament of Jesus' body and blood. I don't have time at this point. You don't want me to go into the full explanation of the Anglican theology of the Eucharist. If you're interested, we can talk later. But what Anglicans do believe is that Jesus is really spiritually present in the bread and the wine of the sacrament. It doesn't stop being bread and wine. It isn't physically body and blood. But Jesus is spiritually present in a real way in the bread and in the wine. So we take the physical substance of bread and wine and it feeds our bodies. And we take in the spiritual substance of Jesus and he feeds our spirits. John isn't explicit about communion in this letter, but I think we can see shades of it even in this first chapter. In verse 7, when he writes, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross, that is what cleanses us from our sin. But the presence of Jesus that is spiritually there in the sacrament that we receive, as we take that in, we are in a way appropriating what Jesus did on the cross. We are not sacrificing again, but we are being fed with what God has already done in Christ on the cross. I was reading a book uh, this week that is some selections of um, Anglican clergy from throughout the ages, uh, reflecting on and meditating on what the liturgy means to them. And and one uh, clergyman by the name of Thomas Comer, who was the dean of Durham Cathedral, the rector of the cathedral back in the late 1600s, he wrote this, and I thought it captures so well what it is to be fed by the body and the blood of Jesus. He writes, I have received his flesh in sacrament, but his grace in reality. And oh, how it fills my soul with joy to behold thy majesty appeased, my sins expiated, my peace made, and my enemies vanquished. It revives my spirit and refreshes me more than comparisons can express. 
more than any can comprehend, but that they feel the like. Oh, praise the Lord with me, and let us magnify his name together. We should have thought it a great felicity to have beheld the glories of Jesus at a distance, but he hath now sent him home to our hearts, wherefore we will declare his mercy forever. Amen. Hallelujah. In the sacrament, we are fed. We receive Christ into us. And it means that we can grow. We can grow in our own faith life, and I think we can grow as a community. And that's my my question, my wondering for us in this aspect of what it means to be a worshiping community. What does it mean that we don't each just receive communion and be nurtured in our own hearts individually, but that this is something that we do together? And then there is a way that as a community, we are fed. Sorry. As a community, Jesus feeds our spirit as one body. You know, in Anglican practice, a priest can't celebrate communion by him or herself. There have to be people there to share the meal. This is not a private thing. This is a community thing. And so what does it mean for God to grow us up as a body together by nurturing us through the food of the sacrament? So, we encounter God in worship. We are reminded of our need for and the presence of a Savior, and we are fed with spiritual food in the sacrament. And fourth and finally, I just want to make explicit something that is implied in the prayer and that I've been emphasizing, and that that's the the us of all of this. That worship is not just something that we all experience individually in our place in the pew, that we happen to be in the same place at the same time. It's something that we experience together. I see this throughout the language of 1 John. It is clear that John is talking to a whole group of people. He says, fellowship with us, fellowship with each other. Um, He will go on in different parts to say, dear children. He's clearly talking to a group of people. And it's, I, I love that that is so clear in the English because in a lot of, um, well, in a lot of the Bible, we can't tell because we only have one word for you, whether it's a single you or a plural you, right? But in Hebrew and Greek, you can tell. And often I think we read this and we think of it as singular you, right? Like just one person. But most of the time, the writers are talking to plural, to all of us, to a group. We are being fed and shaped and formed. We are encountering God. We are meeting our Savior together. That is what it means to be part of a worshiping community. So I will repeat the four points that we find in this first part of the post-communion prayer. What we find is that we encounter God in our worship together. 
We find that we are reminded of our need for and the presence of a Savior. We find that we are fed with spiritual food in the sacrament of the body and blood. And we find that this is something that happens to us together. So as we move into this season of Lent, as we explore this prayer, my prayer is that these truths would be imprinted deeply in our hearts, that this prayer would come to be that short, easy reminder of what it means to be church together. May it be so. Amen. Amen.